0: Welcome to the Garden Organic Podcast. I'm Sarah Brown, Garden Organic's Growing Advice Editor, and I'm joined by Chris Collins, our Head of Horticulture. For the next 30 minutes, we'll be talking about organic growing, month by month, giving you tips and advice. We also get to meet people whose lives are entwined with gardening, talking to them about their work, and why organic is important to them. month is our very first podcast so we're going to explore a little discussing why organic is important and what underpins organic growing chris talks about feeding his soil no not his plants his soil and we discuss green manures those plants which will benefit your soil and we give tips on successful seed sowing being organic is important to me because i believe in creating a healthy environment for my daughter to live in Not only in the food that she eats, but also in the garden where she plays. For me, it's really important to understand about getting close to understanding your soil and what grows in it. It's important for me to grow organically because I feel it connects me to the soil in a way that is sustainable, sensible and sympathetic to the earth. And that's how I want my children to be raised.
1: And also I've got a great niece and it's a great pleasure to see her feet up picking tomatoes and I wouldn't want her to eat chemicals so that's why I do it as well. I don't want to eat chemicals, I want to eat fresh.
0: Oh I've lots to learn but essentially growing organically in my garden is easy. Of course you win some and you lose some but the journey from plot to plate is great and the winds are edible. Gardening organically is really important to me because um, I try to live my life by treading lightly on this planet and I want to leave it as I found it for future generations. Well, I really wouldn't want to spray loads of poisonous substances all over my food and then eat it. So we've had a number of people tell us today why organic growing is important to them and maybe some of that chimes with you and your organic growing. I'm joined today by Chris Collins. Chris gardens up in London, on a balcony and also on an allotment. But he wasn't always an organic grower. So Chris, tell me, why is organic important to you?
1: Well, Sarah, I think for two reasons organic's important to me. One is incredibly personal And one is a more general one. And the first personal one, I think, is because when I garden, as I have done for over three decades now, I find I'm more in touch with this subject matter than I am in any other form of gardening. I'm closer to it. So speaking as a passionate gardener, organic gardening means you're really quite close to the subject matter. It's all about observation, and you need to be quite attentive, I think, to be a good organic gardener. So I feel closer to gardening through the organic method. The second one is quite simple, really. I think we share our planet. I think that when I started gardening we were so um, tidy, we would cut the grass edges and we were, we were very meticulous and actually what that did is that actually bumped out the wildlife for many such situations and I think they're a very important part of the garden. I really get a lot of enjoyment out of them. Plus also you can get into the deep, profound logic of looking after our environment. But on two levels definitely, it's a personal one, I enjoy that style of gardening and two, I want to share my garden with other things. Do
0: you think you need a large garden to be organic? Because you talk about being untidy and leaving areas for wildlife.
1: Well, yes, I mean, obviously that's an issue if you... Because I garden on an allotment and on a balcony, so there's two (laughs) things that is an issue. Um, I have the most incredible bird life on my balcony, I really do. I have to put feed out for them. At the moment, it's, it's like the M25 out there for small birds. So if you haven't got the means to put habitat piles in and bug hotels etc then just put out some food for the birds and you'll get wildlife so the level you're going to do it the size you can do it is obviously going to be restricted by the area you have but you can always get wildlife so
0: the underlying principle of organic gardening is support the wildlife because the wildlife is an integral part of the system of the gardening but i think it's this whole business of biodiversity of encouraging all those different life forms that are in the air that are in the soil Mm. that you're growing the plants in as you say we share the planet so don't blitz the hell out of it with chemicals yeah, and I
1: think you're not going to do you're not going to be as successful or or it's not going to be as enjoyable if you 're doing it in in a, in a sterile environment i just't i can't imagine the garden without bird life in it or the bird song in it and you know, I think that you compromise that a bit if you're going to use chemicals or or be too tidy and too clean about your garden. And of course,
0: it's not just the joy that the bird song gives you or the beauty of the butterfly; it's the fact that they're also working with you. Yeah, they're the predators.
1: They're predators. Well, blue tits, I know for the fact, blue tits were feeding on aphids on my balcony last year. I had a few yeah. miles, so they will join in. They will help keep a balance. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I think that is it. It just again come into this. You know I feel this way, about it. that spiritual connection you have with gardening, I think it was very much enhanced by approaching it in organic matter.
0: Yeah. I think another conception of organic gardening is that it's, it's just saying no to chemicals. Mm. So it's much more than that, yeah. isn't it? It's much more creative. It's much more attentive. If you're not going to go for the easy fix, work out how nature can help you. Yeah. So what advice, Chris, would you give to someone who's thinking of growing organically?
1: Look, so we won't start with chemicals on this question, Sarah, I don't think. I know we always start with, well, don't use chemicals. Well, let's start with soil, because we know, as organic gardeners, this is the keystone of the whole operation. So if you wanted to garden organically, get a compost bin in straight away, or a wormery, even if you've got a small area like a balcony. Start to produce compost, because keeping that soil healthy is going to kick off your diversity, your plant health, etc., everything. So it's starting with the soil. It's
0: the old organic mantra, isn't it, of feeding the soil, not the plant. Exactly.
1: I think that if you've got good soil structure, healthy soil structure, full of micro life, you know, then you're going to have success at gardening. And that's I would argue the place to start.
0: Of course, we can't pretend that it's all beautiful in an organic garden. There's pests, there's disease, like in any other garden. So, what are the ways around of dealing with that again, without the chemicals? Do
1: you want garden without chemicals, a natural balance is important. Get your predators in, but to have your predators you need the pest. So don't panic if you see the pest.
0: Yes, Chris, you're quite right. I planted a couple of apple trees two or three years ago. Last year, they were looking sickly with aphids. The growth was all warped and twisted, and the aphids crawling up the branches. And what happens? The ladybird comes along and eats the aphids and it's fine and they fruit beautifully. What I learned is that you have to have the pests for the predators to then feed on. And by predators, I don't mean something fierce like a tiger. I mean <laughs> Something as simple as a ladybird, a hoverfly. These are beneficial insects that'll help you.
1: Exactly. You need to like a, something like a sawfly, something gooseberries. What ten people do is they buy nematodes, which are quite expensive things to buy, but they've got good intentions as organic method, organic control. But if you apply the nematodes when there's no sawfly, the nematodes are going to starve. There's nothing for them to eat, so you've got to wait be a little bit patient, let the let the pest appear and then introduce the predator.
0: And there is a more complicated side, isn't there, to the organic gardening if you're understanding the pest's life cycle. And that's really what I call deep green organic gardening. Yes. So you know when that pest is in chrysalis stage or emergent phase or whatever. You have to be a
1: little bit of an entomologist, but I love that kind of <laughs> yes. <whole> thing, knowing <laughs> cycles, knowing how things work. And, yeah. and we're always curveballed a little bit because we have very diverse weather, so that can affect things. And yes, but I, does. again, I think with pests, it really comes down to, you know, a lot of gardening is observation just this is why i love organic gardening because I, I have to look i i have a very big bonding exercise with the garden because i choose to garden organically and i think that observation then keeps you it keeps you ahead of the game
0: i'm worried about what we're saying now that it sounds like it's a full-time job
1: yeah <laughs> i think it's as far as you want to take it you can have a pot on your balcony and if you know if you're growing some tomatoes in it and you're feeding seaweed extract that's part of organic gardening isn't it you might have got your plastic pot out of a recycle bin. Yeah. Because there's plenty of them, and I see them in skips all the time. And, you know, I tell you, you, just that little act is organic. You know, you might be working 80 hours a week, bringing up two kids. You can still garden on a small scale. It's not about size at all.
0: Yes, I agree with you. Okay, Chris, so we've got five principles which really underlay organic gardening. We've got building and maintaining the soil health. We've got encouraging biodiversity. We've talked about that, encouraging insects, birds and mammals. They all have a role in your garden. Then we talk perhaps about the resources, using resources responsibly, a bit of recycling, managing mm. things like water, power.
1: Don't be, throw, don't be so quite keen to throw things away, I think it's a good mantra. Well, you've it? certainly <laughs> seen that yeah. on your allotment. Yeah, they? well, well, they're just incredibly resourceful. But you're right, water butt's very important. you know? Yeah,
0: and it's very easy to put up a
1: water Exactly. Uh, and I know people live in flats, that might be a difficulty, but here's my suggestion. Maybe you could put up a community one somewhere. There's Every hat block's got a, a downpipe. So there is ways around that. You can catch the water anyway. But yeah, watering, also plants probably prefer rainwater to water that's come out of tap. Um, I think certainly recycling, I think we've been too quick to go, I've had enough of that pot, I'll throw that now. Or I'll, I'll go down to the garden, sort of, I don't want to put gardens out of business, but we could be a bit more frugal, I suppose. With, yes. our, with our use of materials. Because
0: in the mantra of reduce, reuse, and then recycle. Yeah. So if you think about the first two first, you'll ultimately maybe get to the second. Okay, so if you did those three, build and maintain your soil health, encourage biodiversity, use resources responsibly, you're inevitably going to get to the fourth, which is avoid using harmful
1: chemicals. Yes, yeah. I and mean, this is the one that always we're associated with. But it's
0: in course. truth, you don't want to use them, no, do I don't you? think
1: so. Well, I think like, for, when I... There was a turning point for me quite a few years ago when I sprayed the path um, with glyphosate uh, because it had quite a lot of dandelion and weed. I was a bit worried about slipping over, to be honest with you. But I felt it knocked out the rest of the wildlife in the garden. I felt it affected the chain. And it took quite a long time for it to build up again. One also, I spent quite a lot of money on that and three months later they were all back. So it didn't even do the job that I'd asked it to do. And two, actually going out with a kettle of bowling water, if I really wanted to get rid of that dandelion, I could actually check it that way, So I could do it organically, so there wasn't any need. But
0: then again, was the dandelion really a threat? I mean, I do think sometimes we're obsessed with weeds being a threat to our growing system, and in truth, they're, they're, they're valuable for pollinators, oh, for geez. insects, for birds.
1: No, I don't think they are. I love dandelions. I love the way the uh, the petiole and the stem of the flower sort of uh, gets level with the grass, And matter how oh, it's got a clever plant. Great for bumblebees, you can eat the leaves. And
0: the other one, of course, is daisies on the lawn, because to me, a lawn is like a carpet of a million different plants. It's not just a monoculture of grass. Once you start thinking about all the different plants within a lawn, you don't want to kill them off with your lawn care products.
1: Well, it's also not necessarily... I gardened at Westminster Abbey for four years, and I had seven acres of lawn, and I did it all organically. So if you think about plant physicality, is really, really important. So you scarify it, you'll break an underground stone on an underground stem. You then get more tufts coming off that stem. You get a thicker sward. Don't cut it too close. People shave it right down. And then as soon as it's dry or too wet, It goes yellow. That's very true.
0: And I had a woodpecker the other day, digging on my lawn, getting out the leather jackets. I don't mind, in the least if there's a few holes in my lawn. No, I I don't I'd rather see a woodpecker than see a pristine lawn. To
1: me, chemicals always have been a bit like, spray, walk away. It's been that kind of thing, yeah. So there's
0: something about the satisfaction of of growing organically, growing with nature, using nature, enjoying nature, being part of nature. I think
1: that's the whole experience. There's certainly the bit, I'm sure it's for you too, that I, I certainly enjoy the most.
0: And I think it's a learning curve as well. Certainly in terms of the years I've put in and I'm still learning and I'm still enjoying I think
1: it. that a gardener, any gardener, and that's maybe why we tend to be quite humble people, knows that um, we're only just one cog in the machine. Aren't yeah. And I've, yeah, like I said, I've been 30 years plus in and I'm still picking up new stuff. I'm still finding stuff out and I doubt very much that will ever change.
0: Well, Chris, we're now in the potting shed. It's time to get practical.
1: I'm very excited.
0: Oh yeah, tell me why. Oh,
1: it's March, isn't it? It's Nearly the beginning of the sowing season. I can't wait to get going. But I suppose I have to hold my horses a little bit because we need to be thinking probably a bit about soil now. Now, the organic rule, obviously, is to feed the soil, not the plant. How do we set about doing that, Sarah?
0: I think the best thing to do, now the soil's beginning to warm up, the life in the soil's beginning to get active. Let's give it some homemade compost.
1: So all that microorganism, all the worms, etc., they need to be fed something, and that's what we're putting compost on for.
0: I'm adding it... not just to give the soil nutrient, but also it's gonna improve my soil texture. Some parts of my garden are quite light, quite sandy, so I need that bulk. To give it something for the roots to hold on to
1: so we're feeding and we're bodybuilding
0: so i've been talking about my veg patch because i get excited thinking about what i'm going to grow but of course there are perennials that need that compost as well
1: yeah and i'd like to mulch this time of year probably about mid-march i reckon when the soil's warming up i'll put my mulch down There's a number of jobs really obviously i'm feeding helping the soil structure i'm probably protecting it a little bit from late frosts so if you get a late frost Helps keep the water in, helps, stops it getting too cold, looks great as well. So the mulch does lots and lots of brilliant jobs and it's a great way to use your compost. And it's
0: going to carry through, isn't it, through the year. If we get another hot, dry summer like we had last year, your mulch is going to retain the moisture in the soil. I couldn't stress this enough feed the soil, not the plant. It's a good organic principle.
1: Exactly, it's absolutely fundamental. I suppose we should talk a little bit about doing it at the moment is how we make a compost. What are your golden rules for that?
0: Well, the golden rule really is that A, it's easy and be it's free so all you have to do is put all your waste from your plants from your kitchen vegetable peelings or whatever put your waste together in a heap and it'll start to rot down of its own accord it's magic chris and it happens if you're worried about you know the science or the technology of it don't but think about mixing your green stuff and your brown stuff green stuff is going to rot down more easily that's leaves foliage potato peelings whatever it might be brown stuff is drier You can put cardboard, scrunched up paper, straw on your compost heap. That's gonna help break up to create this, what they call aerobic rot-down. You want to get air into the compost heap, so your brown stuff will help the texture
1: of it. So, it's almost like lives and deads, isn't it? If you're talking about grass clippings and weeds, etc., that's live material, your browns on your cardboard and your newspapers, your lives about 50 50 mix there. Yeah? yeah,
0: good way of putting it. And so often you see in the summer, too much lawn trimmings go on, the whole compost heap slumps down, it gets nasty, smelly, Then wet. that gets anaerobic, the opposite
1: of the. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
0: put some scrambled up paper in or something like that, and then you'll begin to build up the bulk of it.
1: The other thing I like to do as well is if I put in, say, a cardboard box or something, I like to leave now and again. I'm one not crushed because I like the air to be in there so you get those sort of air pockets throughout yeah, the. yeah that's a nice that's, tip maybe um,
0: we should also talk about where you're making your compost because it depends on the space you have I'm lucky I've got a big garden so I've got three quite big compost heaps that I've made from old pallets but maybe buy a compost bin those Dalek shaped bins they're good, they provide the right environment, they're the devil to get the compost out of there. Have you found that?
1: <laughs> yes, they are. And also, I'm a big believer in turning compost. I've actually I've done it on an industrial scale at Kew and Westminster Abbey. And, um, I like to get in there and I like to turn it. Again, as you mentioned earlier, I like the air to get into it. I like a bit of moisture to get into it too as well if it's dry. And that's quite an important part of it. And you know what? I turned mine on a um, couple of weeks ago on the allotment and it had that steaming. The steam was coming mm-hmm. out of it and it smelled great. And I think that's when you know you're on the right road.
0: Yeah. From what we're saying, it sounds complicated. It's not. It couldn't be easier. You can just make a heap in the corner of your growing area. The only other thing I would say, Chris, which sounds a bit weird, is don't forget to water it.
1: Yeah, irrigation is really important. Uh, Organisms and those worms, keeping them healthy and active, that's what it's all about.
0: So I like to think that everyone's now thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to go make a compost heap on the corner of their growing area.
1: It might just be worth mentioning as well, if you're a, a, an urban garden and you've got a balcony and you can't do that, it is maybe worth thinking about, this is another subject for another day, baby, but think about a wormery.
0: And Chris, another thing we'll be talking about in a few minutes when we dip into the post bag is the difference between homemade compost and the stuff you buy in the bag from the garden centre. Okay, so now I'm guessing you're also excited about getting sewing.
1: (laughs) Well, you know that this month, and April probably as well, sets you up for the year. This is where all the work goes into it. You want to be sat back in August looking at the flowers, eating all your fresh veg because of the work you do at this time. Um, we've talked about it in the past, how you sit and you get, you get your catalogs, you decided, you've made all those decisions, you know where things are going. All you need now to do is wait for that soil to warm up a bit, make sure your greenhouse is all sterilised and clean, get your trays in, get your tomatoes in if you like, your run of beans all protected, and get going.
0: Are you selling out of doors? I
1: use fleece, so I have sun, I've sun spinach, I've sun salad leaves, those cut and come again uh, sort of plants, very easy to grow, they're all under fleece and they're all starting to germinate actually, about mid-March they'll be on their way and I'll take that fleece off at the end of the month and I'll start to harvest quite quickly
0: I think because you're a Londoner that's working That is you? very possible yeah the north it's just not ready yet well, and I guess anyone listening up in Scotland
1: is going <laughs> laughing <at this. laughs> I was going to say I lived in Scotland and uh, they won't be thinking about it just yet <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: sowing in the greenhouse or on the windowsill is still perfectly possible
1: well, if you haven't got um, a greenhouse or room for a greenhouse I have three propagators in my flat um, they are gold dust to me they're heated propagators about 30 bar each and I start lots of stuff in those and they really do give my season an early kick.
0: And I have a warm kitchen so I just use old plastic trays or whatever on the windowsills. Definitely
1: improvise, that's true, yeah. Don't
0: be in too much of a hurry to get your seedlings out. If you're ahead of the game like you are down in the south, you're probably tempted to get them out because you think the sun's out, that March sun, you're just beginning to get that warmth on your back, aren't yeah, you? fail yeah.
1: mistake. <laughs> you, you know, uh, the old boys I worked with years ago, they would not actually put out anything tender till June the 1st. That was their rule. That's probably changed a bit now because I can't, it seems to be a little bit different but you get things like radiation frosts whether where a the, where the warm air escapes quite quickly harden your plants off don't be in a push i know it's tempting i know it's tempting sir yeah. but just make sure you're growing stuff on in the protected environment gradually introduce it to the fresh air and probably wait till about midway an for anything tender like a courgette or a runner bean or a tomato.
0: from an organic point of view i think what you're sowing actually the plants you're sowing are quite important and by that i mean to mix our veg and our flowers yeah. Because the flowers will encourage the pollinators, the beneficial insects, which will help the veg to fruit and set seed. Do you agree, Chris? Absolutely.
1: I'm a big player on this. Side. What I tend to do is I, I like to what I do hardy annuals, basically. So they're very cheap and easy to buy. You know them on the packet because they're HA written in the corner. And they're very easy to do. You can have a little strip of them alongside your vegetables or even amongst it, and that will bring in various beneficial insects. And little things like one of my big things, I love hoverflies. I think most people wouldn't even know what a hoverfly is. They put it as a wasp or something. Or a, lace a, lace a lace Yeah, yeah, lace. A bit of fennel on the side, let it flower. The hoverflies will come in. They can eat hundreds of aphids in a day. And they're just brilliant things. And you've got to be thinking as an organic gardener about involving them because they're on your side.
0: I'm thinking of the poached egg plant, which everybody knows. That yeah. a brilliant yellow that will bring in those insects. And the same with
1: marigolds. I just think it's not the same garden unless you're you're you that amongst it. it. Doesn't need to be regimented. it Doesn't need to be in straight lines even. Just play around with a little bit and they invite the wildlife in and
0: when- Chris that I'm thinking about because I'm a mum it's
1: mothering Sunday this month yes it really I always forget and always get told off typical man
0: yeah, I, have to prompt, <laughs> I have to prompt my boys but yeah. I'm just going to make a little plug here if you're going to send your mum some flowers and I will prompt you Chris yeah. if you're going to do it online make sure they're organic there are some lovely organic nurseries around the country support them yeah please
1: do because there, there is a big movement of organic flowers now it's the very big things come in recent years obviously you'll see most of them are English companies as well or British companies so you're buying you're reducing your carbon footprint, you're not putting any chemicals into the atmosphere, definitely organic flowers.
0: Now it's time to dip into the garden organic post bag. We're joined by Hannah, who not only works with us,
2: but has also taken on a new garden. Okay, so one of the first questions we've got this month is about green manures. What are they? Why are they important in an organic growing system? Well,
1: green manures are basically, in a nutshell, they're plants that benefit the soil. Plants that I can dig in once I'm finished with them, and then they'll help improve soil structure and also add nutrients. A brilliant example of this would be the Lagoon family, or P&B family, because they have on their roots some small bacteria called rhizobium which fixes nitrogen from the atmosphere so that instantly improves my soil. So for example, years ago when I was in the parks we used to do whole fields where we'd sow clover and a big tractor would come along dig that all in and that helped improve that area. And you don't have to go that mad on your allotment or on your balcony, you can do this at a smaller scale with ryegrass or clover and that will help fix that nitrogen into the soil. It also has the benefits of Get its roots down so if you're on heavy clay it will break that soil up. So all in all, there's one big rule though, make sure you dig them in before they flower, otherwise you'll have a lot of ones there that you don't need, but they will improve soil structure immensely.
0: Chris, I'm really glad you mentioned about digging them in before they flower because it's all too tempting to leave them to flower and fruit and then they're not going to do the soil any good.
2: So quite a good option if you've just taken on an allotment or you've just moved house and your soil's a bit ropey and you think you need a bit, a bit of a boost. Is there a particular time when you should plant them, time of the year? That's a good question.
0: Actually you can sow green manures all through the year. It's when you have a gap in your plot. So for instance in spring would be a good time to sow some legumes. Prior to those later summer crops, peppers, tomatoes or whatever, prepare the soil for them with your green manure plants. You can also sow them in the autumn because then once they've got settled in in the autumn, they'll be there through the winter helping the soil to retain its nutrients because we know that in the winter very often nitrogen and such like can get washed out with the rain. It can get leached out. So get your uh, manures in in the autumn and you'll be protecting your soil through the winter. Would you agree, Chris?
1: Absolutely. I, I don't like to see bare soil in any way. I think my soil is what is the basis of my organic gardening and I want it working for me. And by using green manures, you're doing that. One, you're keeping the weeds down, you're protecting and erosion, you're stopping it leaching, as Sarah says. And also, you are going to dig it in at the end of the, the, the season and fertilise that soil. So it does so many good jobs on so many levels.
0: Some of them are quite quick to grow as well, so you can do them between crops. Things like mustard, for instance, they're very quick to germinate. And you've got this ground cover, which will prevent your weeds as well. So it's good to maybe scatter it amongst taller plants, sweet corn or, or whatever. The fact that
1: you just mentioned mustard, it's like having an underplant, a ground cover, underneath your main crop if you're doing it for the season. So again, you're making that soil work for you the whole time.
2: So any particular tips on how you sow them?
1: Well I would broadcast sow them and by that I mean I would take my area of land that I want to sow them into I'd give it a dig over, a little light dig over, not too much i then rake it and tread it and make it nice and smooth and then I would literally just scatter really thickly over the area of the seed, say if it was mustard over that area and then lead to germinate that's pretty much how i go about it.
0: I agree Chris I think the thickness is really important there you can't be too particular if it's patchy
1: it's not going to work no
0: exactly mm. there's plenty about green manures on the garden organic website they're an integral part of
2: organic growing all the benefits are there in a handy list brilliant okay thank you um, so then the next question is about compost and again this is something we get asked all the time what's the difference between homemade compost and the stuff in the garden centre can you use either or or where would you use one over the other
0: I think the big difference between the two is that homemade compost is bulky it adds bulk to the soil and therefore enhances enriches the soil but also helps the soil's texture its, its structure The stuff you buy in bags from the the garden centre is much, much lighter. Now, it's stuffed full of nutrients. Of course it is because they want your plants to grow and you want your plants to grow. So the manufacturers will stuff the nutrients in. That's fine, but they will disappear over a period of six to eight weeks. So it's a short term fix. Your homemade compost is a much longer term fix because it's got a slow release of the nutrients. Things like the nitrates, the potassiums and, and phosphates. They're slowly released over the months. So you've got that first big difference. Chris, I suspect you use the bagged compost on your balcony. It's lighter, isn't
1: it? It'd be a space issue for me to have a compost being up there for a start. And I can have a little wormery, but obviously it doesn't produce in bulk. And you're right, I need to get it all up there. And, uh, and, and what I tend to do is I rotate it a little bit. So I want it light, I want it quite free-draining because it's in pots and hanging baskets. And I then need, I need to subsidise it a little bit with, with seaweed extract, etc. But it would be, from practical terms, you get good, decent compost. And I will say... Don't be going down this free bags for a tenner from well-known DIY stores, because you'll just end up with a squadgy match, really. That's what tends to happen. It usually comes too damp and not too structured. Spend a few quid on your compost. Your soil is your key to organic gardening. We cannot emphasize that enough. Make sure if you're gonna buy something, do some decent organic compost.
0: And please, please make sure it's peat-free. Peat bogs are rapidly disappearing. We've lost 95% of this valuable ecosystem in the UK already. So make sure it's peat-free. If they don't stock peat-free in your garden centre or wherever, go and ask them why and take your money elsewhere. These habitats are too important to lose. And and Chris, I think you've probably seen the research. The peat-free alternatives perform just as well, if not better.
1: I was just about to say that, you know, 10 years ago, it was a bit of a struggle because, um, you know, there wasn't as much innovation going on with our soils and and, and excluded peat from it. There's really not much of an excuse now for you to be using peat soil. I think the industry knows that as well.
2: Okay. The last question is about seed sowing. So what are the tips for successful seed sowing?
1: So the first thing I'd say would be substrate soil, basically, what you're sowing into. You want a nice seed compost. If you start sowing in the cheap stuff down the garden centre, you're not going to get results... Uh, make sure you read the packets, not all seed has the same requirements. For example, a poppy seed that needs light to germinate, so there's a little bit of homework involved. But once you've got the substrate right and you've sown properly, then actually it's quite easy from that point on. Um, anything that stretches or elongates, leggy seedlings, I means you're not giving them enough light. That's the big problem there. I, I tend to put mine, in a from at home, in a windowsill, not direct sunlight, but nice and light. I tend to also spin the tray when, it, when they've germinated. So when they start to lean, I turn it. And they go the other way. Oh, I also stroke my seedlings. Um, really, I, I'm sure you, can, I promise you, you can't. <laughs> Do get we ar- want to know? <laughs> <laughs> you can't get arrested for that. I promise you. And that's just to make them sturdy, basically. If you imagine if they were growing in the wild and there was wind and stuff blowing around? Just to keep them nice and stocky. Um, and a big thing is watering. People tend to overwater rather than under most of the time. You just want a damp compost. Make sure you've got a damp compost. A big thing as well is when you water, just turn the rose on the on the can upside down. And water away from the sit of the season over and back again. That way, you don't wash them out.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, Chris, because the number of times I've carefully sowed and then washed them all out again, and they're sitting on top looking at me. <laughs> so, yeah, I often put my seed tray in a tray of water, so that helps the dampness. So capillary
1: action, basically, you're bringing out my capillary like action. Exactly. Now.
0: I understand the questions because I think seed sowing you set out so optimistic, and it's so disappointing when it doesn't work. But I agree with you: a seed compost which doesn't need a lot of nutrients in it. It needs to be very fine. Sometimes just a mixture of sand and topsoil mm-hmm. is all you need. You don't need a lot of nutrients because the seed's carrying its own nutrient.
1: Actually, if um, if you get good at our leaf mould, then that actually can help you with your seed compost in the future, can't it? Because it's nice and crumbly. And And that
0: lovely thing that gardeners have that share with cooks is a sieve. So put your soil maybe through a sieve and that'll make the compost very fine that it's growing into. So those little tiny first roots make their way down. They're not very strong, those roots, initially. So make your soil as
1: fine as possible. I love sieving. Okay. I do. When I was on the uh, on the parks again, you would obviously, you'd obviously, you'd put your seed on, you'd sew your seed on and you'd always go over the top with a sieve and there'd be these, these beautiful brass sieves. Uh, I get very excited about them. Other people wonder why, but I won't ever challenge that, I'm sure. The other thing we need to mention is obviously sewing outside in drills. Big thing here is just soil temperature. So if I want to sow my lettuce or my salad leaves and stuff like that straight into drills, I want that soil to be at least five, six degrees. If it, how do I judge that? I'll tell you how. When the grass starts to grow, you know your soil is warming up, okay? And dandelions. Dandelion. Dandelion. Yeah, dandelions. Yeah, yeah. so, so nature will always indicate to you when it's time to make your move. You don't have to make that decision yourself. Nice
0: one to end on, Chris. Thanks. Well, time is nearly up on our first Garden Organic podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to know more about our work, then just go to our website, gardenorganic.org.uk. There's tons of advice and plenty of organic growing tips. Next month, we not only deal with those pests you love to hate, slugs and snails, but Chris gets talking to a rather special man who uses organic gardening to help prison inmates cope with substance abuse. Bye for now.